Hello, and welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling, and I'm a certified health coach and founder of PCOS Diva. My mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. If you haven't already, make sure you check out PCOSDiva.com because there I offer tons of great free information about PCOS and how to develop your PCOS diet and lifestyle plan so you can begin to thrive like a diva. And look for me on iTunes, Facebook, and Instagram as well. So today I am welcoming back Dr. Isabella Wentz to the PCOS Diva podcast. If you haven't listened to our podcast about what you need to know about Hashimoto's and hypothyroid, then you definitely want to catch that. But today we're going to be talking about her new Hashimoto's protocol. And I think that her protocol could be very helpful for women, whether you have Hashimoto's or not. So welcome, Dr. Isabella, to the podcast today. Amy, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to connect with you and, and talk more about the Hashimoto's and PCOS connection. Great. And, and we're going to do that. And I just want to give listeners a little bit of your background first. So you are a thyroid specialist and licensed pharmacist who has dedicated your career to addressing the root causes of autoimmune thyroid disease after being diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroidosis in 2009. And you're the author of the New York Times bestselling patient's guide, Hashimoto's Thyroidosis Lifestyle Interventions for Finding and Treating the Root Cause and the forthcoming protocol, Facebook Hashimoto's Protocol a 90-day plan for reversing thyroid symptoms and getting your life back. So I have to um, just let women with, that are listening know that PCOS actually makes you three times more likely to have Hashimoto's. And my bet is that there are women listening that have it but don't know yet uh, because I find that a lot of um, doctors are just testing TSH um, to see how women's thyroids are um, doing and, you know, they're not getting into sort of some of these deeper labs. And I was hoping that to get started you could kind of explain what Hashimoto's is and um, maybe give some of the symptoms that we should be kind of looking out for and then maybe getting to some of the labs that we should request from our doctors. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. Hashimoto's, it, it, you know, it kind of sounds like a rare Japanese flower or, or sword fighter, if you ask my husband. But it's a very, very common condition. And looking at advanced diagnostic studies, it's going to affect about 27% of our population in the general population. Now in people, in women with PCOS, we see that 27% of them with um, 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 sorry about that. The um, Hashimoto's is a very, very common condition and affects about 27% of our population. I'll talk a little bit about the symptoms and we'll, we'll get into the tests in a little bit and then I'll share how some of these tests might actually be even higher in women with PCOS. And so and some of the more common symptoms of Hashimoto's, which, which is essentially an autoimmune attack on the thyroid gland, are going to be having fatigue. So women who are really, really tired and they're just having a hard time going about doing, doing daily things, this is going to be a common symptom. It's just um, thyroid tired is different than 
you know, I just stayed up a little bit too late last night and I'm tired today. It's a constant fatigue that's with you throughout all the time. Then weight challenges are another big symptom. So people who have a hard time losing weight or people who are just gaining weight without really doing anything differently. And then we're looking at changes in brain function. This is the third biggest thing that women complain about. And one of the one of the cardinal signs of Hashimoto's or thyroid disease is going to be brain fog, where you just have a hard time remembering things. So you might have trouble with word finding. You might have, you know, be walking into rooms and forgetting why you got there. You might be losing your keys. And there are some other symptoms as well, and these might include feeling uh, depressed, feeling just very unmotivated, feeling like you have anxiety or even um, panic attacks have been reported. And then we're looking at generally an overall slowing down of the body in a person who has advanced Hashimoto's because it becomes hypothyroid. And so we're going to see perhaps constipation. In the early stages, it could be diarrhea. Then we're going to start seeing um, hair loss. We're going to start seeing um, a loss of the upper third of the eyebrow. And then cold intolerance as well as heat intolerance are some other potential signs and symptoms. Now, all of these things don't have to be present in order for one to have Hashimoto's. One person might have all of these symptoms and then some. Another person might have just one or two of these symptoms. I always recommend getting tested. And so in the general population, about 27% of people, men and women, have Hashimoto's. And now <clears throat> women are five to, eight more, five to eight times more likely to have Hashimoto's compared to men. And when we do some more of these di advanced diagnostics, we're going to catch it. So the current conventional test is known as the TSH test, the thyroid-stimulating hormone test. And this test is going to be um, elevated when a person has an underactive thyroid, which is sort of the advanced stage of Hashimoto's. But for the first maybe 10, 15 years that a person has Hashimoto's, that test might actually come out in the normal range. And so Hashimoto's comes in five stages. The first stage is the genetic predisposition, where for all intents and purposes, we don't have the condition, we don't have any of the markers of the condition, and we don't have this immune attack on our thyroid gland. And, and, and you know, you would be asymptomatic from Hashimoto's symptoms at that point. In the second stage is when we start seeing that our thyroid gland becomes recognized as an enemy by the immune system. And this is the beginning of the attack of the immune system on the thyroid gland. Now, this can actually be measured by thyroid antibodies. So thyroid antibodies, TPO antibodies and TG antibodies are the two to ask your doctor for. And this can be elevated for 10, 15 years before doctors will actually find your TSH test to be elevated. Um, there's also thyroid ultrasound tests that can be um, done at this stage to find the earlier stages of Hashimoto's because about 80% of women will have thyroid antibodies when they have Hashimoto's, but about 20% will be seronegative Hashimoto's, which means they do not have thyroid antibodies. In a study done with women with PCOS, 27% of them had thyroid antibodies, whereas 42% of them had abnormal thyroid ultrasounds that were consistent with what Hashimoto's looks like on a thyroid ultrasound. Um, as the condition begins to progress, 
we start seeing more and more changes in different lab values. So at stage three, we're going to start seeing more symptoms and then a slight elevation of TSH, but this is not always reliable because it might go back and forth. In stage four, we're going to see the elevation of TSH, and then we're also going to see alterations in free T3 and free T4, where those will be low. Um, and these are the active thyroid hormones that are measured. And so for a full and comprehensive thyroid panel, I recommend doing the TSH test, T3, T4, which are the active thyroid hormones. And I, I always recommend getting both the total versions and then the free versions, which tell us how much thyroid hormone is there to interact with receptors. And then we're also looking at reverse T3. Now, this is something that becomes elevated in, in times of stress and adrenal stress. It's always good to look at that. And then we're also looking at the thyroid antibodies. So thyroglobulin antibodies, which are TG, and thyroid peroxidase antibodies, which are TPO. And then for every woman, at least once in her lifetime, I recommend getting a thyroid ultrasound um, because like, like the studies have shown, thyroid ultrasounds can reveal Hashimoto's more frequently than even the antibody test can. So this is really great information, and I think a lot of people listening can um, see that a lot of the symptoms of PCOS sort of mimic these symptoms of Hashimoto's. And the other thing that I wanted to point out is that I had to really fight with my doctor to get the antibodies tests um, because my TSH was normal. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't end up having Hashimoto's, but he, he did give them to me, um, and I'm just glad that, you know, I was able to get that information. And part of being a diva is really advocating for yourself and realizing that your doctor is working for you. And, you know, if, if they're not willing to do these tests for you, then it's important to, to find somebody that is because, um, you know, the, the number of women with PCOS, what did, did you say 27% of, um, what was that statistic that you mentioned, Dr. Wentz? Would, yeah, 27, 27% would have elevated thyroid antibodies. Yeah, so it's, it's important to, to advocate for yourself. Um, and, we, and there will be a um, transcript of this call so you can you know, look, you know, go back and, and look at the, the testing that um, was, is suggested. So I wanted to kind of dive into your protocol and um, I've been reading your book at night over the, the past week and really as um, a woman with PCOS that does not have Hashimoto's, I can tell you that so much of what you're recommending in your book um, I think could be so helpful um, for me and a lot of what you're discussing in terms of the role that toxins have to play and you know in this autoimmune condition and your adrenal health and then keeping your gut balance I mean, it's all so appropriate um, for women with PCOS with or without Hashimoto's because I tend to feel after all of these years kind of studying PCOS that there's definitely probably some underlying autoimmune issue for, for, for some women as well um, in, 
with PCOS. And as you know, you know, once you have one kind of autoimmune condition, you're, you're much more predisposed to have others like Hashimoto's and celiac. Um, so maybe you could kind of touch a little bit upon um, the role of toxins, adrenals, and gut balance, and, and maybe give us a couple tips on how to um, kind of reverse, um, you know, bad um, lifestyle choices, I guess, in each of those areas? Mm -hmm. So when I first started working with people with Hashimoto's, I was kind of looking for ways to help them get uncover their root causes. And I was, I was yeah. really doing my, my due diligence to try to figure out what the triggers were for their conditions. And in some cases, this took a lot of time. And we, we, you know, we had to pay, people had to spend a lot of money to get expensive tests. And this became a bit frustrating for me. And then I saw that there was a subset of, of women who just seemed to react to everything that I recommended. So I would give them a B vitamin, and they would have an adverse reaction to it. And they'd say that, wow, you know, I just can't tolerate any kind of supplements. I am just really, really sensitive. And then I did a little bit more research, and I thought about, okay, how do we help people who are very, very sensitive? How do we help them kind of get to baseline, right? And how do we, um, how do we address that? And so I really started looking into the connection between the liver toxicity and thyroid health and generally autoimmune disease, right? And what I found is that in autoimmune we tend to have a very, very um, congested liver. I think that's 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 a you know one fun way to say it. You can't really catch it on a lab test, but that's essentially what's happening is that the liver will have a backlog of these toxins and then it can't process the toxins correctly. And so we end up walking around with a lot of toxicity within our bodies. I like to use the example of like an overworked office worker that has a stack of papers on her desk and people just keep putting more and more papers on her desk and you know things that would take her five minutes to do are just now taking weeks or days for her to complete and she's overwhelmed and she's stressed and nothing's getting done and nothing's getting out. And that's sort of what happens with with the liver and we know that we're we're constantly bombarded by various toxins in our environment, um, and our modern modern diet doesn't necessarily include a lot of foods that help us detoxify, and in fact has a lot of toxins within it, so we end up eating foods that have hormones in them when we're not eating organic, organic meats. We're eating um, things with potentially pesticides on them when we're eating non-organic vegetables. And then also we're eating foods that are highly inflammatory to us, like gluten, dairy, and soy, which then have to get processed out as, as toxins, essentially. Um, in people who have food sensitivities, which are always present in Hashimoto, they, what they do is they produce circulating immune complexes to the foods, um, and, and it's basically a complex that forms an antibody and, um, and to the food reaction. And these complexes all get shunted to the liver. And then we also have um, a lot of times women with thyroid disease, they also will have an impaired ability to sweat. Now, this is not something they commonly complain about. It's like one of those things that seems like a side benefit, but it, it's actually quite toxic because then we're, we're not clearing out toxins because we 
are, you know, the, our skin is our, one of our biggest elimination organs. So again, those things that would normally be cleaned out through sweat and through the skin end up going to the liver. And then the gut is also impaired in Hashimoto's and in a lot of women with chronic health conditions. And this ends up in the toxins that would normally be cleared out of the gut going to the liver. And so in some cases, when you have um, a person who is really struggling with their health, getting them on liver support can have a dramatic, like produce a dramatic change. What, what I've seen, and I first started working with women who were um, sensitive to a lot of things, you could say multiple chemical sensitivity, quite a few of them had that as a diagnosis. And I would put them on liver support for about two weeks. And I was actually surprised to see with the results that they had. So one woman had headaches. She had anxiety. She had joint pains. And she also wasn't able to go to the mall because of all the sense there. What we ended up doing is doing the liver support protocol. And this was a couple of weeks before Christmas where she, she called me and left me a message and said, hey, I'm actually able to go to the mall again. I'm no longer sensitive to all of these things in my environment. My headaches have resolved. My pain has resolved. Um, and then sure enough, the next time we tested her thyroid antibodies, which are an indication of how aggressive the autoimmune attack is on the thyroid gland, those were reduced as well. And so what's happening when you support the liver, you help your body get rid of some of that toxic backlog. And then you have, you know, once again, you have this happy office worker that, that can go on and process things effectively. And how you do that. And so the few things that I recommend for liver support are going to be cleaning up your environment and cleaning up your personal care routine. So getting a reverse osmosis filter is going to be very, very helpful because fluoride in our water supply can actually suppress thyroid function, and it, it can be—it's—it's it's a toxin. Um, getting off of personal care products, these a lot of our personal conventional personal care products have um, have a lot of endocrine disrupting chemicals and chemicals that act like estrogen within our body. I know there was one study done in women with Hashimoto's and PCOS, and the researchers were trying to determine which women with PCOS were likely to get Hashimoto's, which were, which were not as likely, and they found that the women with higher levels of estrogen or those who had estrogen dominance were more likely to get Hashimoto's. And, and so this is something that, um, that can be actually induced by potentially some of our personal care products. And then we start thinking about what foods are supportive. So I like to think of food as medicine and trying to give people foods that are going to be helpful for detoxification, and that's going to be, um, that's going to be hot lemon water, doing some smoothies with cilantro, doing beets, uh, eating beets can be very, very helpful in helping to clear out those um, toxins through the methylation pathway. And we go through just a two-week time period where we remove things and we add things and um, do some targeted supplements that include milk thistle and methylation support. And within, you know, I would say seven to 10 days, people start feeling a difference. About 65% of people in my experience will see a dramatic turnaround within just those two weeks of the liver support. Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's amazing how your body can really heal itself when it's given the right 
um, foods and, and supplements. And I've, I run a, um, a twice-a-year cleanse. It's called the Sparkle Cleanse. And we talk a lot about how to get rid of the endocrine um, disruptors so that you don't, you avoid kind of the retox. Um, but then it's also a liver support cleanse. And it's amazing in those 14 days what a difference um, you can experience in your health. So I'm, I'm so on board with the, the whole idea of um, detoxifying and um, the, role of to the role that toxins play in your health. And just a little shout out to Beats. I, I know a lot of um, women, you know, they remember those kind of like canned, candied Beats you know, that maybe their grandmother ate. Um, but mm -hmm. beets can be so delicious when you roast them, um, or you can even kind of um, sort of julienne them raw and put them in your salads, and they really are delicious um, if, if prepared the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to, to make them. You could ferment them. You can make soup out yeah. of them. You could make mm -hmm. almost like tomato sauce out of them. And then another food group that I think is really important and underappreciated in, in thyroid conditions. In fact, sometimes some people have villainized them are cruciferous vegetables. Mm -hmm. So cruciferous contain nutrients that help to support the liver's detoxification. And so vegetables like cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, turnips, um, these can be really, really helpful to help move, move out some of the toxins out of the body. And there's a, there's a myth, a thyroid myth, that cruciferous vegetables contain goiterogens and that they cause thyroid disease, but right. in reality you'd have to eat like a lot of them, a lot of them. And even even in modern times, the, the mechanism that they are, you know, um, goiterogen is, is kind of like a generic term for anything that interferes with thyroid hormone absorption, production, function. And um, the way that they interact with the thyroid gland is that they prevent the absorption of iodine, where with Hashimoto's, you know, we're not really looking at iodine as a potential root cause for majority of people. So maybe 5% of people might have an iodine deficiency, but for the rest um, of us, iodine deficiency is, is not really relevant with, um, with Hashimoto's and autoimmune thyroid disease. It's more of something you would see in um, developing nations where where they don't have the the added iodine to the water or to the salt supply. I'm so glad you, that that you clarified um, that question about the goitrogens and Christopher's veg veggies. I, I get that question a lot um, because, of course, you know I'm recommending those types of vegetables for for women with PCOS in my meal plans and. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention in, in your book, you talk about the benefit of um, of adding more, you know, having really fiber-rich diet, and that helps with kind of escorting that excess estrogen. Um, and then berries too. You you kind of talk about the benefits of berries, and and berries are, are one of those fruits that I think are really fantastic for women with PCOS too, because they can really um, you know, they don't affect your blood sugar like some of the other, um, you know, maybe tropical fruits that, that we might be eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, they're, they're very, very tasty, too. So that, that's always that's nice. Right. They have a lot of phytonutrients and antioxidants. And blueberries are actually a rich source of myo-inositol. So this is something... Uh, this is a, something that can be taken as a supplement as well, but it's a 
nutrient that can actually improve thyroid function and blood sugar. And I know this is something that can be potentially helpful for, for women with PCOS as well. Yeah, and I actually um, recommend a supplement called Avocetol. It's a combination myo-inositol and D-chiro-inositol supplement. And, um, yeah, it, it helps uh, women with PCOS on so many different levels with the, the blood sugar control, um, but also with egg quality, you know, if somebody's trying to, to get pregnant. Um, and you can read more about that on PCOS Diva. Uh, but since we're kind of on the, the subject of foods, and we talked about some of the, the good sort of healing foods, what are some of, before we talk a little bit more about adrenals, can you just mention some of what you sort of see of, as the trigger foods? I know you said gluten, dairy, um, and soy, but are there some other f foods out there that you kind of want people to steer clear from? You know, as a starting point for everybody, I have them go gluten-free, dairy-free, and soy-free. In some people, that will completely turn their thyroid condition around. They might go into complete remission. For um, for other people, we might need to dig a bit, uh, dig a bit deeper. Um, one of the foods that can be reactive for some women with um, Hashimoto's may also be eggs. Now, generally, eggs are going to be considered to be relatively healthy whole food but the protein structure, structure may be difficult for, um, for people with intestinal permeability and some of those autoimmune responses to tolerate. So oftentimes I might have people get off of eggs as well. And then we're also looking at nuts and grains in many cases as potential trigger foods. Um, for women who are struggling with pain, I might have them get off of nightshades for a time period. So these would be tomatoes, bell peppers, bell peppers and eggplants. Sometimes these types of um, foods, even though they're normally very healthy, can be problematic for, for certain individuals. And I like to <clears throat> I have two approaches. One of them is a step-down approach where you start off with um, where you start off with the autoimmune paleo diet and then you start introducing more foods. And then there's also the step-up approach where you get off of the gluten dairy and soy and see how you do, and then as time progresses, you might remove more foods. And it just really depends on the person, what they're more comfortable with. I know for some people, they want to jump right in, and others might say, okay, it's going to take me a long time to make these changes. And so really, it's, it's about moving in the right direction. And for me, it's not about like being on the perfect diet. It's about tuning into your body and figuring out what your body needs at this time and what it's, what's not serving it. Um, there's definitely processed foods that I think are a problem for, for most people in general, and um, artificial sweeteners can be um, a problem, like sucralose can be a potential issue for, blend uh, can be a potential issue for people with Hashimoto's as well. So these are you know, whole foods, diet, mostly organic is what I recommend. And I know this is something that you're a big fan of as well. Yeah, and, and I wanted to just mention to you, if, if you're interested in kind of the, the step approach that you had mentioned, you do have all that information um, in your book, um, which is really helpful. So I wanted, before we, we run out of time, I want to talk a little bit about your adrenal protocol. and. Um, I, I believe that most women with PCOS have some 
level of adrenal issues that they really need to stay on top of. Um, and I find that, that, that women that are really struggling with their PCOS are often, um, you know, they're either not exercising or they're totally over-exercising and um, just really stressed out and they have, um, like, inadequate sleep and their, um, their adrenal health is really compromised. So, again, that's kind of another one of those um, areas that's really, I think, overlap with Hashimoto's and... PCOS. So maybe you could talk a maybe a little bit about your experience with adrenal issues and um, kind of how you came about your recovery protocol. Yeah, I found that um, about ninety-five percent of the women that I worked with who didn't get better with with changing up their nutrition. So maybe they they got slightly better, but they hit a plateau. Ninety-five percent of them had low cortisol. And so low cortisol is, um, and cortisol is a hormone that's produced by the adrenals. And this is something that is going to be necessary. So people oftentimes say that cortisol is bad. Well, it's only bad when there's too much of it. We actually do absolutely need it in the right amounts for, for, in, for um, reducing inflammation within our bodies. And so what happens is that initially, people start producing too much cortisol, and then as time goes on, their body sort of stops wanting to produce more, where the body kind of says, okay, you're telling me there's an emergency because cortisol is a stress hormone, and I'm putting out all this cortisol, but where is this emergency? And I can't, you're giving me an emergency every day, so I'm just going to kind of stop producing all this cortisol, so it's sort of like the boy who cries wolf, right? And you end up with, um, over time, with with really low levels of cortisol. And a lot of times we see this as people who are just extremely, extremely tired. And they, um, you know, they're, they're having a hard time. They're breaking their bodies down instead of building them back up. So they're in a catabolic state instead of an anabolic state. And they're oftentimes going to have blood sugar issues because cortisol helps us balance out our blood sugar. And so the ways to turn that around we're going to want to make sure that we're focusing on um, four core things, sleep, stress, blood sugar, and then inflammation. And so the things that we do is um, one of the fastest ways to get your adrenals um, you know, out of whack is sleep deprivation. And so what I recommend, and I don't know if this is possible for everybody, but just trying to take elements of it when you can is to do a spa month where you do things for yourself that are promoting sleep and relaxation, blood sugar balance, and reducing your inflammation. So what do I mean by that? If you can sleep, commit to sleeping for 10 to 12 hours for a week straight, that can actually be helpful and restore the adrenals. Um, one of my good friends, Dr. Alan Christensen, he also sometimes will recommend that um, a woman check into a hotel room for the weekend and just some blackout curtains and, and you know, try to sleep the entire weekend as much as possible. The other part of that is giving yourself frequent, really high nutrient-dense food a few times a day. So you're basically kind of training your body that the, supporting your blood sugar issues. And you're training your body to not be having those blood sugar swings. And then we're thinking about what are things you can incorporate into your life that can help you um, 
stress less and help you relax more. So these might be things like going for a walk or doing a massage, meditation, sewing, you know, different people have things that they love to do. I recently got into um, adult coloring books, which are just fabulous and they're oh, supposed yeah. to be. I think the equivalent of, of um, meditation I, I once heard. So you go through and you do these things that are going to be targeted to send your body these safety signals because in adrenal, um, you know, adrenals respond to stress. So adrenals are sort of like, okay, there's danger around, things are changing up. And so we want to send these like everything is good, everything's safe, so we're thinking positive thoughts. And then we can also do things that help the adrenals out. So I like to recommend the ABCs, and so that's adrenal adaptogens. They can be very, very helpful um, to balance um, some of the, some of the, you know, like a lot of times I'll say adrenal adaptogens make everybody else a nicer person. <laughs> because when you're, when you're on them, you know, like the world doesn't seem as stressful. So they help you balance out your stress response. Then we're looking at the B vitamins. Um, thiamine is one I really, really like. That can be helpful for restoring um, blood sugar balance and can be really helpful for energy levels. I recommend about 600 milligrams per day, and within three days, most people will start seeing a big difference in that. And then vitamin C is really, really important for adrenal health. And then um, another nutrient that I really love is magnesium. And doing Epsom salt baths or taking magnesium as a supplement can be very, very helpful and very relaxing and put your body in that sort of like rest and digest mode and heal mode rather than in the fight or flight mode. This is like a fundamental that I recommend for everybody across the board, you know, whether they have Hashimoto's, PCOS, any kind of root cause or triggers. And, and I would argue, you know, the, the gut, adrenals, and liver are really the core body systems that, that these these, you know, really when we're ill, this is what goes out of whack. And so we need to start supporting them to find our way back to health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's really a, a part about being a diva is making sure that you have time for you as well and advocating for that time. I know for me, um, I found that weekly acupuncture, I found like an acupuncture co-op where it's cost me as little as $13 a visit. Um, and that really helps me keep my um, stress levels. And I love how you described that it makes everybody else seem easier to get along with. <laughs> and that's exactly <laughs> kind of how I feel. I've actually missed it the last two weeks, and I've been kind of irritated with my husband lately. So I think I just need to go, <laughs> I need to go back <laughs> and, and have another session. Um, but but such, yeah, such good wisdom and, and advice, Dr. Wentz. Um, and I want everybody to know that her book, Hashimoto's Protocol, is excellent. And again, I, I believe it's not just for women with Hashimoto's. I think everyone listening um, with PCOS would benefit um, from, from you know, picking up a copy of the book as well. So tell us um, you know, where we can find the book and how we can find out more information about your work. Mm -hmm. So... Thank you so much, and I, I so admire your work, and I really love that you teach women to be divas because that's such an empowering way to be, and that's, that's really the only way to take back your health. Nobody's going to do it for you, and once you fill your own cup, you can actually give some from your overflow because we all know that when you're empty, you can't fill another cup, right? Um, so my 
my book, Hashimoto's Protocol, is going to be available in Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and bookstores all around the country. And if people go to thyroidpharmacist.com slash gift, um, I can also give them some wonderful um, resources and tools to get them started on their, on their journey towards recovering their health with Hashimoto's. Excellent, yeah, and we will post that link um, below the podcast as well. So thank you for joining us again. I hope you'll, you'll be back again soon. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, that wraps up our podcast today. So thank you, everyone listening, for joining us, and I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe to PCOS Viva on iTunes or wherever you might be listening to the show. And if you have a minute, please leave me a quick review. I'd love to hear from you. And if you can think of anyone else that might benefit from this free podcast, please take a minute to share with a family or or a friend so that she can benefit from it too. And don't forget to sign up for my free newsletter. Just enter your email on PCOSDiva.com to get instant access and make sure you never miss a future podcast. This is Amy Medling wishing you good health. Bye.